Danielle Amaro, and I'm a member here at Redemption. And I will be reading today's scripture from 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word for us today. Well, good morning, beloved of God. It is good to be with you, and uh, I am just encouraged by uh, what you're doing in uh, inviting other pastors and like-minded churches uh, to bring God's word to you. Thank you for uh, welcoming me. I feel like this is a very warm and beautiful body of Christ, and you need a bigger building. <laughs> That's what I'm telling our people these days. So I so appreciate the friendship that I forged with Danny, and he is just a, a godly man. So um, I know he did some introductions, and I'll do some as I go. Uh, but I'm just grateful to be here, grateful to sing with you and worship, and then now open up God's word together with you. Um, I'll mention some as uh, some story about our church as we go, but we are in a very similar situation, uh, and it's neat to watch the people of God uh, expand and grow. And, and so if you feel uh, like, I'll just say this, this isn't the sermon part, but uh, if you have a tension here about the, the tightness in the space, just live in that and learn ways to serve your brother and sister in Christ. Maybe by being out for a week, uh, we're just trying to walk through that as well as a church. But it's good to see this is what God is doing in this area for the glory of Christ. And so just continue on in faithfulness in that way. All right, I'm a preacher. I'm going to preach different messages this morning. So uh, I'll get back to the text here. But let me just read that last verse. I like to pray before I preach, mostly for my own soul. So I'm going to read that verse 19 again, and then I'll pray uh, for all of us together. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. A brief prayer. Father, would you quiet our hearts in this moment together? Would you make us aware of our need for Jesus, our need to follow him faithfully? Father, if there's one that has never placed their faith in him here, that you would open their minds and hearts by the power of your spirit. And Father, for those who are stumbling forward after you each and every day, would you encourage our hearts now that we would suffer according to your will, that you may be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. 
Well, and uh, I have been at uh, Real Hope in Lake Mills for about 18 years, and in uh, the first five years I spent as a youth and associate pastor there, and so it's just been a privilege to be in one place for a very long time. And in 2010, I uh, was making a transition to take over as a lead pastor elder at Real Hope, and uh, that was going to start June 1st. And late June and June 27th, our fourth child, Josiah, was to be born. But God had completely different plans for that. He was born four weeks early uh, on May 30th. And I remember that date vividly because the trajectory of our lives for the next 13 years was about to change pretty dramatically. Uh, We have had some, and I'll be emotional this morning as I talk about our youngest, and that's okay. I always say if that's, that's you, that's okay. God uses all these tears. We have a lot of tears in our family at times, but it's a healthy thing. And God has brought us through some gut-wrenching nights, some long nights, some long years of tiredness and uncertainty, certainly pain. And, and if you're a parent here, and I was just overjoyed to experience watching the child dedication, uh, you know what it is to have a heart for a child. And you know, uh, in fact, when I was a youth pastor, I went into my uh, senior pastor's office and we were just about to have Michaela, our our oldest, uh, and I said, any last minute advice, kind of as a joke, and he said to me this, in all seriousness, he said, it's like having your heart ripped out of your body and it walks around in the world and you can do nothing to protect it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Off to the hospital we went. It has been every moment of that in truthfulness. I want to just briefly introduce you to my family. I know you don't have a context for this, but I'll show you the picture of the first. Uh, We have uh, four kids. Um, uh, My son is my second son, Jeremiah, or my first son, uh, second child, over in the Cubs jersey. Cubs fans? Thank you. God's people. All right. He is the one that we just sent off to Cedarville, a wonderful school. And then next to him is my wife in the back there, Carrie. Been married for 23 years. My daughter, Michaela, she is 21 and at uh, Bethel in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And then Bella will be a sophomore. And there's our little guy, Josiah. He's 13. Uh, he is nonverbal. He's uh, non-mobile. He weighs about 52 pounds. It's weird having a little tiny 50-pound uh, uh, boy that kind of is starting to growl from his bedroom as puberty's hidden, and we're having to shave a little mustache. But uh, he is undiagnosed. We don't know a lot about him, but he has a lot of different challenges. He's all G-tube fed, and he's had uh, a fusion from his spine. He has multiple tests, multiple physicians, all of that. And I wanted to show you these next couple pictures because I wanted to just show you, uh, and not for pity's sake, but this is Josiah at his worst. He has spent, um, I think we've calculated somewhere around 380 days total in the hospital in his life. Uh, This is him in the ICU. Uh, That is him at his absolute worst, and when he has breathing troubles, he struggles. Uh, We've almost lost him in a a couple ways uh, in the ICU crashing, but uh, uh, we just continue to trust God for his life. And then the next picture, kind of one of Josiah's better days. He does a lot of laying down, uh, uh, sometimes sitting up neurologically for him. He is bound to seizures and whatnot. And then I'll just show you this last picture, uh, because it is a joyful thing when we catch his smile. He is a beautiful boy created by God, but when he smiles, he lights up a room. And, and those are fleeting. That's why that, that picture, those pictures are important to my wife and I. But they are fleeting moments when, when he is free from pain and he is in, in, in a good place. 
Now, you and I understand suffering and pain because it's a universal experience. We feel pain in this life, and we struggle at different times and in different ways and in various seasons. Now, I want to make very clear off the bat, right as I begin, that the text we're looking at this morning specifically addresses real persecution and for being a follower of Jesus Christ. For those in that day and many in other parts of the world now, that means beatings or even death for the name of Jesus. And we just simply don't experience that kind of persecution as much in the West. We don't experience it while uh, we don't completely understand that kind of severe suffering. We still experience different challenges, insults, persecution, isolation, feeling like a fish out of water as we follow Jesus in a world that is going to hell in a handbasket, as it is said. And we suffer in different ways. God brings different trials into our lives. And so I I want to acknowledge that, that Peter is addressing an audience like that, but also acknowledge the principles of suffering, knowing that even in extreme loss and even death, Christ is sufficient and ought to be magnified. And my hope this morning is that we'll be encouraged from these words here in 1 Peter so that you and I may be able to walk faithfully and hopefully through all that God has for us. So I'm going to dive in. I like to give our, our people back at Real Hope our points. Those are the three points that will move through the text on the screen. We're going to have those up. One is don't be surprised or fearful of it. That's the trials. The next one is that we re- should rejoice with Jesus in it. And then finally, the third one, to do good while trusting and glorifying God through it. And I want you to concentrate on those little phrases that I have bolded there, the of it, in it, and through it, as if we have a right understanding of our suffering, what we need to do in our suffering and how God will bring you through and how he will use your suffering. Now, a brief background as we dive into 1 Peter. His letter is a pastoral one, and he encourages us here by instructing us because our deepest needs drive us to our deepest beliefs. And the overarching theme here that Peter is presenting, and he of all people in discipleship would know this, the great victory in the gospel, what Christ has done in order to bring confidence to us no matter what we face in life. He specifically addresses a theme of suffering and persecution, and he starts by reminding these exiles, remember they are scattered through the dispersion here, of who they are in Christ. They've been scattered about, they've been persecuted in the church because of their faith in Christ, and it's likely here that it would have brought them, of course, great discouragement, as it would when we struggle and when we're tried, which is why he reminds them of the living hope in chapter 1, that they'll be tested by fire and that they've been grieved by various trials. And he reminds them to pursue holiness through all of it. Then he has some instruction about submission to authority and marriage, and then he dives them deeper into the theme here of suffering, and that's when we get to chapter four. He reminds us how painful experiences and trials are in life, and he says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I have got extremely bad news for you here today if you are brand new to Jesus. Life is going to be hard following him. 
It's going to have painful moments. You will be brought through fiery trials. Now, the wonderful great news of the gospel is that God is with us through all of those things, and we'll learn through this text. But that is part of the Christian life. Pain is part of it. And this reminder that Peter gives here is easier said than lived out, but it is no less true. And I believe that Peter says this here, do not be surprised, not as a matter of fact, but he says it gently and empathetically. He doesn't say it as a, like, duh, don't be surprised. He says it, don't be surprised. As if something strange were happening to you when you struggle. He says it as an encouragement born out of one who has experienced pain himself and been tested by it. Don't be surprised, he says. Now remember, Peter has reminded believers, and he reminds us again today, about the victory of Christ, the hope of the resurrection, our blessed inheritance in heaven. But it would be wrong to assume that because of all this, believers wouldn't ever experience hardship, right? Which he reminds us as we are often confused about it. We often think this way, the Christian life should be easy, right? Because we're doing what honors God, we're following after Jesus, we're in the right place, we're on the right side of things. So why all of this trial and tragedy that comes upon our lives? If I'm being perfectly honest, and I want to do that, May 30th came as a surprise to me. It came as a surprise not just because our, our, our date of Josiah's birth got bumped up four weeks. Now, he had had some challenges that we looked at in utero. He was born with severe club feet. He still struggles with that. It doesn't affect him as much because he doesn't walk, but uh, we had met with a surgeon to correct his feet when, when Carrie was 20 weeks pregnant, and so we had some ups and downs, and of course, we met with a perinatologist, and they said, hey, one of your options is to abort, which we said that would never happen. We're going to trust God through this, and your heart just goes like this from the beginning, but when May 30th came along, if I'm being honest, we were surprised in all that God would bring. It felt strange, which is why even as I preach this morning, I need the reminder again because of what God has done and is doing in the last 13 years of our life. You see, a fiery trial is, and that's the adjective there Peter used, is fiery because it's painful and it hurts. It's hard. And Peter doesn't skirt around it. Just like in Hebrews 12, we're reminded that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And as it says in verse 11, in the moment it is painful rather than pleasant, but it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for those trained by it. Hebrews 12 tells us that the discipline is for our good, that he disciplines those he loves. I have always joked with our people that God must love me a whole lot because I feel that discipline in my life all the time. But it's true, and you have to remember that God is doing something. This is Romans 8.28, kind of doing something. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. He says it this way. I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to, rose, to ruse rather a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which a sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows, his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are being perfected. Through the most humiliating means at times and the most hard 
ways, but the most perfect means. And Peter says, expect this is how God will work to sanctify you. It's not strange. Why? Because it happened to Jesus. We think it's strange that we should suffer, again, when we are the ones that worship and honor God, just like it seems strange that the Son of God, the High King of Heaven, would come down from his throne and suffer while he was on this earth. But our suffering links us to Jesus Christ. We suffer because he suffered. We share in that with him. It's significant because Christ suffered for us, which is why Peter offers then us the alternative attitude in our pain and trials. He commands it, in fact, in verse 13, that instead we ought to rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's point number two, that we rejoice with Jesus in it. Peter issues a command there to rejoice even in the difficult things that God brings into your path. Why? Because when we suffer, we are sharing, as I said, in Christ's suffering. Listen, if you believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for your sin and separation from God. If you believe here, and you're here, that you couldn't be in a right relationship with God any other way than having your sin atoned for at the cross, the beautiful hope of what happened there is that the punishment of God's wrath for sin was paid for, taken upon Jesus Christ, and not only are we free from the guilt of sin, you are actually made righteous by Christ, clothed in it, And God looks on us like he looks on his son. And so Peter reminds us here, if we are made righteous by him, we suffer as the righteous with him. We are linked to Christ in our sufferings. When we walk through pain, when we walk through difficulty, we share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We identify with that. It is for, in many ways, our calling as believers to identify us with Christ. And if we have been made righteous by him, we will suffer with him. And we share in pain that Jesus knows all about. And so Peter writes here, you can be glad because you know what is coming. Just as it came for him when he conquered death and sin by his resurrection, so his resurrection means our resurrection. And so I ask you this morning, how is your joy when you suffer? Danny probably wondered why I had set this here. He's he's like, who put a formula can there? I brought this this morning as just a reminder, and uh, I want to share with you a moment that I experience almost every night of my life in the last 13 years. Josiah is fed, G-tube fed, which means he takes all of his nutrition through uh, G-tube in his stomach, and we all have different responsibilities in our house, and my wife's responsibilities on numerous meds. She gets his meds like every night ready for bed. It takes about 40 minutes to get this whole process done, but I'm in charge of the milk because husband gets the easy, dumb job, right? And, and so every night I uh, go to the counter, and there's this formula can, and I put it out, and I start to mix his 24 ounces of formula. He eats all night through the G-tube, And I got to tell you, these are moments for me every night. This can comes out of the cupboard. 
and I'm there at the kitchen sink, and some, some days I'm not going to make it over dramatic. It flies by me, and I just do what I need to do. And other moments I pause, and I just reflect on all that God has done and is doing. Some days are good days when I rejoice, and some days are really hard days when I just say, God, I'm tired. I don't know how long this will go. I don't know how many more years. We don't know what happens with Josiah's life. He, we hold him very loosely, but these milk can moments for me are, are sometimes really difficult days, but what they mostly are are gauges of where my joy is in Christ. That's mostly what they are. Am I joyful in all that God has brought into our lives through pain and suffering? And in verse 14 and 15, Peter reminds us here that we're actually blessed in our suffering. He says it this way, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, and again, this is persecution direct, as I said, specified, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Here for these believers, they were experiencing insult for their faith. And it says, for the name of Christ, the banner we wear, the identification of chosen, adopted, named, beloved children of God, this is our, our lot in life. And for them, they were insulted and persecuted and scattered, some even put to death. And for us, we walk through difficult things. And, and I acknowledge that. That's why I said it in the West. Our pain is no less real, but it is not quite to that point where we don't know true like uh, persecution and martyrdom for our faith. But God brings us through difficult things. And they were bearing shame and insult because of their faith in Jesus. And again, we know what that's like when you are in the workplace, when you are in the world and and liberal-minded people who do not honor God and a godless culture whose consciences are seared. They look at you and you're just odd. You're strange. Peter writes that we're an alien in that regard. But Peter's encouragement is that you have the Spirit of God in you and on you through all of this. There is a confidence that we know that God is with us in every moment of our pain and suffering. Suffering for Christ leads to glory and tastes of glory and also brings glory to God. But Peter notes here in verse 15 that suffering that brings glory to God is not suffering that is caused by our own hands, right? In verse 15, that seems like a strange tangent, but he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Now he reminds us that suffering caused by our own hands does not bring glory to God, things that lead us to sin. But what's interesting about verse 15, Peter mentions murder and theft, not because he expects Christians to be guilty of such crimes. It's almost thrown in there, like I said, as an odd tangent, but because these crimes that, are, these crimes that he listed, they actually carried the death penalty. And he wants them to know that that is exactly what some of them may face for bearing the name of Jesus Christ. As I said before, many of us don't experience this kind of persecution, but you ought to be willing. I believe there probably is a day coming in this country where Christians will be persecuted. Maybe not in this generation, maybe not in the next, maybe. But it is harder to live as a faithful biblical Christian today, and there will be a day coming where you ought to be willing to lay down your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the name of Jesus Christ. And though you may not die physically as a martyr, spiritually the call to Christ is the call to die to ourselves. 
and give up what we want in life for the glory of Christ. To deny ourselves daily and to pick up our cross, right? And follow him. That is why the milk can moments for me are so profound. I've been doing it for 13 years and it's a reminder to me each night that I need to surrender what I want. Carrie and I are not getting any younger. And, and sometimes my heart is pierced when, when I look at uh, a younger family and, and, and say things, and this is not, uh, please don't misunderstand this, it's just my journey when somebody will say, finally out of the diaper phase, and I'm thinking, I've been in that for 22 years with no end in sight. And, it, and then you just wonder, God, like we get older. Or, uh, I told my friend at basketball the other day, I said, good news, the right pain or the knee in my right pain, the pain in my right knee is gone. It's just moved to my left. <laughs> and I think about carrying Josiah and bathing him and all those things that I have to go to the window every night and surrender to God again. I don't know what you have for us. Again, we all have visions of what we think, right? This is our retirement, and when our kids, we're just about to enter that empty nester phase from our three older ones, and like, you expect certain things. Ah, then I'll get to breathe and rest. And I have to go there and surrender again what God has for our lives. I've always said to our people, I've always told them this in ministry, you have really two choices in life. You can be bitter and angry, with God over circumstance with no control. Or you can be joyful and praiseworthy of God with no control. That's really our choices. You ought, ought to do one or the other. Of course, we learn from this text to be joyful and praiseworthy, but we have no control. And Peter says here, you ought to rejoice with Jesus in it and thank God for it and not be ashamed by it. And that's what he writes next in verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, which is our third point, to do good while trusting and glorifying God through it. Friends, if you are suffering or will suffer, you ought not be ashamed by it. And we think of shame as, as a humiliation, but that really spiritually in the same regard is that you have self-pity on yourself. And, and it's often said, and I love how John Piper says this, that pride is an evil sin, but self-pity is just as dangerous. When you wallow in all that God, if he is sovereign, has ordained for your life, he says there's two opposite sides of a spectrum of sin, and you need to land in the middle to rejoice and not experience shame in suffering. It's often said that if you're not going through a trial now, you're either coming out of one, right? Or headed into one. And you ought to bear what God brings into your life with gladness and a head held high because you are bringing glory to God when you suffer well according to his will. Peter, in fact, goes on in verse 17 and 18. He writes it this way, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That takes some unpacking here. What he is doing is reminding us of what suffering really is in doing a work of purifying. 
You see, the household of God refers to the temple, but we who are in Christ know that we now are the temple. The Spirit dwells within us, right? Colossians 1.27, Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what Peter is doing is he reminds us that refers to us as the household of God being the temple, reminding that judgment begins with us. And it's not a punitive judgment, but a purifying one a cleansing one, a sanctifying one. And the reference is from Ezekiel 9 and Malachi 3 here that the Lord will purify his people and he does that through refining us. The same kind of refining that Peter referenced in chapter 1 of the letter, the same way that gold is refined through fires. That's how it's purified. And so to understand this, we must know what he is saying. If we, who are saved and sanctified by Christ, go through a judgment of purification, how much worse will it be for those apart from Christ, those who do not obey the gospel? That judgment is punitive. And Peter quotes Proverbs 11.31 here, that the righteous are scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and sinner Now, I need to be clear here, and you need to understand this. Scarcely saved does not mean that we barely make it. That's not what it means here. This word in the Greek translates with difficulty, and it means that we're saved in the midst of our suffering in difficulty, that it's difficult, that it comes by way of refining, by testing, by hardship, by trials, by pain. And it's difficult for us, but we have confident hope and secure, and we are secure in our eternity. But woe to the one who doesn't have that, who doesn't have security in Christ. We experience pain in this life, but we have the hope of glory in heaven forever as children of God. Woe to the one who has an easy life, but has the judgment and wrath of God's punishment on sin in hell forever in judgment. You see, we may suffer here for the night on earth, right? And this is the scripture we know, but the joy comes in the morning. That is the believer's confidence. So friends, what is God's will for you in suffering? I am so glad you asked that you are not surprised of it, that you rejoice with Jesus in it. And this third point here in verse 19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, there is a way you can suffer out of that, right? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffering according to God's will is done in faith. Entrusting our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It is interesting to note that this is the only time in the New Testament that God is referred to as creator. And why is that interesting? Because Peter uses that reference very specifically to remind us, to remind those who are reading this letter, to remind us today that God has created and ordained all the moments of your life. That God has brought all the things that you maybe were caught off guard with and surprised by into your life for purpose by his sovereign hand. That God has authored all of the stories. In 2017, my wife and I went to uh, Boston Children's Hospital 
which is known as the Mecca Children's Hospital of uh, you know, children's hospitals, and that's where all the research is done. And we were invited to participate in a study through the NIH, through the Undiagnosed Disease Network. And we were invited, and at this time, you know, we're seven years into this journey. We have met a lot of parents that need to know the answers. And Carrie and I had already surrendered that we're never going to know how God created Josiah. Doctors, he stumps, but we thought, you know, we'll go to bring some further education about for other families that might struggle, and uh, if there's something to be gleaned. Uh, plus, selfishly, I'd always wanted to go see a baseball game at Fenway, and they paid for the whole thing. I'm not gonna lie up here, right? Um, and I, as a Cubs fan, I got to be at Fenway, and that's a whole other story. But we brought Josiah, and we had numerous appointments throughout the week there, and they were great. They, uh, we had a doctor, a physician early on that said, be careful what, they, what you let them do to Josiah, because they'll cut him up, they'll test him, they'll endless pursuit. And we had that in the back of our mind as we went, and we were up against like 15 or 16 specialists that he, he has, and we met with each one of them, and we, we went through cardiology and pulmonology and endocrinology and all the ologies, and, and one of those appointments Carrie was most fearful of, the genetic one. She just didn't want to endure that because we had done some of that with UW-Madison, and she just was worried about that particular appointment. It's just another time where you get to hear from science, right, that mutations in these cells happened, and this is what happened. And, and moms, you know this. You bear some guilt, right, when your kids suffer, even in health. Like, what did I do wrong? It was just something I did in my pregnancy. And she struggled through all those things. But this was the one, the genetic specialist appointment that she just didn't want to sit in. And, you know, I had my reservations as well, but I kid you not, we get to this appointment, it was one of the last ones, and big sigh before we go in. And the moment the doctor opens the door, the very first words out of his mouth, very first words, he looked right at us. I don't even think he introduced himself. And he says, I've looked at all of Josiah's files, and I want you to know that Josiah was created just as he was meant to be. What God did in our hearts for that moment was I think he took over that doctor's voice, I don't know, but he reminded us that this is God's will for us. This is exactly as he desired it to be. Every mutation of every cell, if that's what happened, he created in that way. Every unknown uncertainty that he's brought us through, he created it to be. Every way Josiah's body functions that is not like normal and it's super unique in the medical community. He responds to so many things differently and they all leave scratching their heads. And there is a creator who never scratches his head, who is never caught off guard. Friends, my prayer for you is that you would have the attitude of Paul here or Peter, but then the attitude of Paul as he writes in Philippians 3, that you may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That you would know that according to God's will, that as you suffer, as you rejoice in your suffering, as you're not surprised by it, you are being sanctified through that work, and you can rejoice that you are identifying with the suffering of Christ, and you can do good and bring glory to God through it. It makes me think of one of my favorite passages in Romans 5, and I'm going to read that to you. As a reminder, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith 
into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I don't know about you, but on the nights when I recall this at the window with the milk can of my suffering, those are the nights where God gently reminds me by his spirit, you can go another round. You can go another round. That's the night I remember the true grace of God in the gospel that I just read. When I remember God's sovereign plan in all of it, all the ways that I have rejoiced in seeing him and watching him work. And God calls us, right, as children to remember constantly in the scriptures. Remember, remember all the times where his faithful hand has been a part of your life. When you see his work, trusting that he will complete what he started. Those are the times where I'm comforted by his love, that I'm reminded to not be surprised at what's coming tomorrow, to rejoice and to do good while glorifying God. I saw this quote, and I'll just kind of land the plane here a while back through a, an artist my son and I listened to, and it, long story, I'm gonna, I'd like to ramble. It was in his office on a plaque, and, and I, I read this quote uh, as we looked at this video, and it said this, just hanging on his wall, it said, life is made up of pain, uncertainty, and constant work, and I accept that I cannot change these things. Life is made up of pain, uncertainty, and constant work, and I accept I cannot change these things. And I looked at it and said, wow, that's pretty good. I believe that. Life is made up of pain, uncertainty, and constant work. Who doesn't feel that, right? But when I thought about it, I said, you know what? Life is made up of pain, but it's also made up of joy and sweet moments. That's why I showed you that picture of Josiah in moments where we see his smile, a flash of God's glory and what he's doing, we get to see a glimpse. That's what life is made up of. It's also made up of uncertainty. But you know what? As believers, we have the secure promise of God. We have the word of God that tells us what is true, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that he will comfort us in our suffering to comfort others. We have the security of this truth and this promise and this hope. And so for the believer, it isn't that uncertain of what is coming. And finally, some of us feel like we're in constant work. That's how I feel often in 13 years of this journey. It's like constant work. But you know what? And I'll close with this. Jesus invites us to rest. And in Matthew 11, he gave one of the greatest invitations to come to him, all who were weary and burdened, and he would give you rest. To take his yoke upon you and learn from him 
Friends, I invite you towards that same thing today in the midst of your suffering to take the invitation of Jesus seriously and to rest in Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never trusted Christ fully. Maybe you've relied on your own strength and work that you would take the invitation of Jesus to come to him, all who are weary, who are caught in constant work and find your rest in Christ. And for those in this room that are suffering, that are walking through a hard thing, take joy, excuse me, in Jesus and rest in his grace and strength every day. Don't be surprised. Rejoice in it and do good and glorify God through it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good and kind. Thank you for this time this morning to look into your word. It's never enough time to meditate on these verses, to work through this scripture and work through it, not just with our minds, but with our hearts. For sometimes we can understand theological truths, but when we put them into practice or are caused to put them into practice, that's where it gets hard. To actually do what your word says, to, to actually rejoice when we don't feel joyful with hard things, to actually praise you when we oftentimes, if we're being honest, feel like cursing you for what you've brought into our life. But Father, help us as a people, help us as a body, remember the goodness of what you've done in Jesus Christ, giving him to us for life and salvation, that he came to this earth, he lived a perfectly righteous life, he kept the whole law that we could not keep, and he suffered a sinner's death that we were supposed to have. Father, he took pain and hardship and insults and slander and mocking and abuse all because of our sin, and he put it on himself and he bore it. And Father, he took that and he was buried and he rose victoriously on the third day to remind us of the living hope we have who trust in Christ, that we are made righteous in him because of his atoning work on the cross, that we are clothed in that righteousness, that we live in the freedom of your grace with no guilt or shame, Father. And we long for the eternity of heaven. Father, help us long for that and help us share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us so that many could be in glory. Father, use the suffering in this body. Use the hardship and pain for your glory and good. May we know it. May we not be surprised. May we rejoice. And may we do good while worshiping you, our God, our creator. Father, thank you for this body. I I pray a blessing upon Redemption Church. Thank you for their warm reception of me and other pastors. And Father, would you do what you desire to do in this church as they move forward in trusting you. Father, as they entrust their souls to you, may you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. amen.